Hi everyone, welcome to Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron, a podcast that uncovers the hidden heroes and untold stories in the world of healthcare. I am your host, Dr. Rona Odigbe, or Dr. Ron for short, and I'm excited to take you on an insightful journey behind the curtains of the healthcare industry. I'm a medical doctor with a postgraduate degree in clinical anatomy and another in health informatics. I'm interested in healthcare technologies, innovation, patient care, informatics, and health content creation. In this podcast, we delve deep into the lives of healthcare workers, shining a spotlight on the dedicated professionals who work tirelessly behind the scenes to deliver exceptional care to patients. While doctors and nurses often take the center stage, there are countless unsung heroes who play critical roles in ensuring the seamless functioning of the healthcare system. From the skilled medical laboratory scientists and technologists who analyze samples and provide crucial diagnostic insights, to the compassionate medical social workers who offer support and guidance to patients and their families, we explore the multifaceted and essential contributions of every member of the healthcare team. Join us as we share stories of resilience, innovation, and teamwork that drive the heart of healthcare. We'll talk to healthcare administrators who navigate the complexities of managing a hospital efficiently. And we'll hear from healthcare researchers who are at the forefront of groundbreaking medical discoveries. Our podcast goes beyond the clinical aspects of healthcare as we shed light on the challenges and triumph of healthcare workers during the pandemic and beyond. We will discuss the mental and emotional toll of the profession and how these dedicated individuals find strength in the face of adversity while not overlooking those individuals who have pivoted into the non-clinical areas of healthcare and still contributing their quota to healthcare delivery. Behind the scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron is not just a podcast. It's a tribute to those who work diligently behind the scenes, often without recognition, to improve and save lives. Each episode will inspire you, leaving you with a newfound appreciation for the unsung heroes shaping the landscape of healthcare. If you're curious to explore the passion, commitment, and innovation that go into delivering quality healthcare, this podcast is for you. So tune in to Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron and be a part of the conversation that celebrates the relentless spirit of those who make healthcare possible. It is my hope that with this podcast, we will shed light on these areas, improve patient care, and hopefully inspire the next generation of healthcare professionals, one conversation at a time. Subscribe now and join us on this enlightening journey through the art and soul of healthcare. We're live, so welcome everybody to another interesting episode of the show. Thanks with Dr. Ron. And on today's episode, I have an interesting person in the studio. I mean, I've been looking for this person in this space, so it's an honor or privilege to have her share her time with us in the studio. So, uh, she's by the name of Dr. Emanuela Onako. I hope I got that right. You got it right. <laughs> Thank you very much. For giving us some of your precious time so like i usually do i'll link the introduction to yourself so uh let's get to meet you okay nice to meet everyone from wherever part of the world you're listening from or watching from uh like you rightly said my name is emanuela onaku i started my career as a clinician i went to school in nigeria Ebony state university to be specific finished my house job, wrote primaries actually, but with the long wait time to get into specialty training, I decided to come to the US to get a Master of Public Health degree. The aim was to also write the USMLE and continue my residency here. However, I said public health, uh, you know, getting my master's in public health and I don't know, I fell in love with it because I saw specialized in epidemiology and biostatistics. So okay. I just felt, felt more in love. It felt like it was something I could do long term. I just, and then I picked it up from there. And then posts, I was involved in various clinical research projects at the time. And then yeah. I, post-graduation, I worked at the National Institute of Health, to be precise, National Cancer Institute, where I managed various clinical trials. And after a while, I delved into um, medical devices. So I currently work as a principal clinical strategy manager 
at Abbott Laboratories, where I write clinical protocols and do a whole lot of fun stuff. That's about me. Hmm. So that's quite an interesting uh, introduction. You and we were going to unpack this, you know, layer by layer. And it's very interesting, you know, because I uh, talk about alternative careers all the time. So that's like one of the biggest questions I get all the time, you know, on my channel or from my newsletters. Yes, retired of medicine, what else can we do? And I'm like, there are so many options, really. And so your area is just one of the many options doctors can actually look to get into. So looking at what you do now, I mean, <clears throat> You mentioned that you, you fell in love while you were doing your MPH and decided, oh, okay, I'm going to leave the clinical people and just face this side, right? So looking at what you do now and looking at clinical part of the whole thing, is there any you know, correlation? Do they marry together? Or yes. Different? Yeah, I must say so. So um, our clinical background, one's clinical background, obviously lends itself to a world of possibilities aside being a hospitalist. If you look at it from that lens, you understand yeah. that there are other possibilities outside being the hospital. Like in all my roles leading up to this role, be it clinical trials, be it some form of epidemiological research, it's all about solving a health problem. So having that clinical background already gives you this very strong foundation. You're able to pick things you know, on the go. It's not, it's not, not, not it's, that terminologies are not your issues, pathophysiology is not your issue and all that. It's literally all about, okay, what are your numbers? Why are we looking at this? What are the population? What burden are we trying to solve? What is the impact and all that? And so that's where you have to now start applying things like critical thinking skills, being a, a people management skills and all that. So you, your clinical background is actually a solid foundation to really be anything you want to be. However, it has to be streamlined in such a way that it looks like you're trying to tell a story. So for instance, okay. if you have a clinical background and suddenly you're found singing, sometimes people might question a lot of things like, I'm going to understand. cannot understand where is this leading to? Well, you know, leaving clinical medicine and then delving into maybe clinical research, health informatics and all that. So you have that still medical foundation leading you on, lending itself gradually and catapulting you into a world of possibilities. So yes, of course, it's uh, a very beautiful gift that I cannot, like it's a very beautiful gift that keeps on giving and has helped me so far. In fact, I walk yeah. into a room and people take me more seriously, to be honest, no matter what it is, because they're like, yeah, she'll pick it up very fast, kind of. She's gone to medical school, she has done stuff, so whatever. Throw stuff at her, she'll be fine. Simple. She'll pick up, yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you miss being in the hospital? I actually don't miss being in the hospital. The reasons we are, sometimes what concerns me a lot, we are the long, unending hours the countless exams, not like I wouldn't still have done well, you know, doing that. But at some point I was really thinking long-term, you have to be comfortable. Oh, okay, so how, the way I thought about my career and I think the way my dad also helped guide me, you know, in thinking about okay. a lot of long-term things is what you might not be happy doing when you're 60. Is it worth it? So, <laughs> and, I always knew that I was not going to practice in Nigeria for the long term. I always knew that I wanted more. I was that kind of person. I was always a go-getter. Mm -hmm. I was always that person that always stood out, even when people are trying to think about something from the left. I don't do head mentality. I <laughs> look yeah. at every other possibility. So definitely in most westernized countries, at least from what I'm used to here, I won't speak for every country. Even being a consultant does not excuse you from having long hours, unlike what we have in Nigeria. So that was the way I was thinking about it. And so, yes, I don't miss clinical medicine because of the really bizarre hours and the fact that it almost feels, at a point, it really feels like rinse and repeat. Yes, one or two cases might surprise you here and there, but at the end of the day, are there a hundred different ways to treat one thing? Let's not be joking here. Do you get? I like the thrill of something new. I like the thrill to be in a pathway where something new can jump at you and you, you know, keep it going. Few years ago, we didn't have COVID nineteen. Even doctors yeah. had to learn on the job. Let's not be joking here. So, 
I like the trail of you know being being on the discovery pathway compared to rinse and repeat. No shady deal to the hospitalist, but that's where I consider. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you had mentioned having the domain knowledge as doctors really, you know, it opens up a lot of possibilities. And I mean, looking at myself, you know, I went for a postgraduate degree in health informatics, and then people are like, What's this guy doing? Where is he going to? Yeah, he's not making mistakes and all of this things. But she kept quiet and just continued doing what I'm doing. So it's interesting that people are now beginning to develop interest in what yeah. we are doing over the side. And we are sort of becoming the guiding light. And like you said, I mean, that domain knowledge actually you know, gives us a lot of leverage in terms of what we're able to do, how you move quickly and all of that. And me too, I don't miss clinical work actually too, because like you said, we live for the trail of, I mean, like what I do now, EPR system. So every day is a new day. You don't even know what you're going to expect. You don't even know what is going to happen. You know, so you're, you're waking up every day thinking what's the worst case that could happen, but something interesting will happen True. that day. So it's not really, like you said, we're not shading the doctors anyway, but, or the clinicians really, but that's what it is. Now, looking at how you moved into this area. I mean, every transition is usually has its own challenges, really. So what were the specific challenges that you sort of you know, faced on that journey and how did you navigate them? I think my, my challenges were not, we are more of on the, will I say people management skill kind of challenges, not really the hardcore stuff. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm someone that easily could have done nuclear physics. Okay. You know, that's just, I'm very good with numbers and all that. So BioSat and all that came very easy for me. I code in three different programming languages. It's no, it's no big deal, actually. But as a regular or as a typical medical um, student that I, you know, I was for a while, became a clinician and all that before I, you know, delved into this career pathway. I'm very introverted. So, you know how the typical Nigerian medical school is? They just want to see you pass, just be, just be giving them You know, but no, but they forget that education is not only about getting your grades right and all that, leading in class. It's also developing you as a well-rounded person, right? Being able to have conversations outside what you're studying, being able to not really just come when I when you're in public, you know, network, walk the room, yeah. talk intelligently, not just medicine. Do you understand? So, mm-hmm. and then there was this cultural shock, right? You're now doing these things in an environment where you did not even get your medical training. So the culture is different. The expectations are different. I found, I found, I found, I suddenly found out, oh my God, when you talk about your dog or your cat, you sound more interesting. Movie stuff, because I was a mover, you know? I was, Ella, move this stuff, I move it to the next level. But no, 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 no. You have to develop like more people's skills. So those are my challenges. I had to teach myself how to talk more, how to sound okay. more interesting. Because it's only when you sound interesting, people are now, they feel comfortable around you. They trust you. They can now listen to that high falutin stuff you're talking about. That you high. To move. But then when you don't have, when you don't look like you're open, how do you break into? So that was actually my challenge because I'm the typical nerd. <laughs> I'm so mm-hmm. I'm serious. Like I'm very typical. But I taught myself better communication skills, not just yeah. typing and all that, but so then managing people to so being people management skills to be precise. Then okay. our level, our kind of education in Nigeria does not really build you to be a critical thinker. And that's because even some of us that have tried to think critically, be outside, think outside the box, ask some kind of questions, they shut you down. You know, why are you doing so much? Blah, blah, blah. So you continuously find yourself, you know, find yourself 
having a lot of questions, but you cannot project those questions out. That's because of the way and manner we are trained. So coming into yeah. this environment too, it took me a while to get out to get back to that kind of person I was when I was always asking more questions. Why this? Why are we not doing it? Being, you know, having that level of conversation, listening to other people, because listening to people too is also a skill. You okay. don't know it all. <laughs> it's a very important skill, not just hearing the words, understanding, listening, giving yeah. intelligent feedback. So my challenge is we are more social challenges compared to this was not really intellectual. I could pick things up very fast. That's not an issue, but pure management skills, critical thinking skills, not not so much, but reviving that and then communication, networking, navigating, walking the room, looking more interesting, sounding more interesting, less boring like the regular medical person. Yeah. Those are the challenges, exactly. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, like for me too, like other people mentioned, you know, this scenario where you're trying to get into an area where you really don't know enough people there, or you have no idea of people who have gone before in that area. You know, that yeah. uncertainty that you're leaving the safety of clinical practice is getting into this space. Do you, do you experience that? Yeah, oh, a lot. In fact, I have some aunties that will stick on and be like, Oh, since you went to the US, we've not seen that telescope around your leg. I'm my man, I'm like, Kill that dream, <laughs> kill that dream. <laughs> and so, why have we not seen? Then they compare it to one cousin or the other, yes. So, yes, I actually had jitters, and um, I actually wrote the steps if it's that one. So, it's yes, Emily, I wrote and dusted it. So, best oh, believe, wow. everybody should calm down. You get no, 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 don't worry. And I did that, I did that because. You know, at some point, you know what you want to do. You are moving for. I was moving forward, right? I knew it was clear. It was clear as day. I wanted something different. I wanted to be among yeah. the, the thinkers, people that will be thrown into things that no one knows the true answers, but we are trying to use our core knowledge to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But then at the back of my mind, I was like, hey, what are you going to do? Write the exam. Dig it. So I wrote all my steps, but I didn't apply. I didn't apply for the match because... Yeah. At some point, it was it was as clear as day. So yes, I struggled for a while. I had some colleagues. We all I had colleagues that were prepared for the steps together. We read together when we were in discussion group service. That one we did all that one. I did it, right? But at some point, I had to define my pathway. A lot of them felt like, "Are you sure? Yeah, good." Said, yeah, but I was like, "No, I think it's time to really find my pathway and." really see how it pans out. And to be honest, even as a medical, you know, even being in medical school, being a clinician, I was that person that I wasn't so fixated on, oh, it must be surgery, it must be medicine. I'm very good at, so I think my adaptability skills as well has also helped me. If it's pediatrics, I was (laughs) dead set. I I, I definitely knew how to manage, how, what to do and how to do it. It is internal medicine. So, I, even when I was deciding on the specialty, I was that kind of person that mm, it doesn't really matter because anyway, I knew I, w- I was going to excel. I can do I, well, yeah. Hot and dry. If it's not surgery, I'm not doing. No, I'm not that kind of person. So I think that mm-hmm. having a kind of adaptability personality also helps me make up my mind. Despite the fact that I took my time, wrote the steps, threw away my money, whatever. But yeah, here we are. <laughs> So do you, do you always, if you sometimes look back and ask yourself, why did I even take all those steps? I really don't because you know how it is as Nigerians. I my mom would have been was clutching her pearls at some point. I sent this girl to medical school and okay. what what's happening here? So I did it for family. It's important. You must do some things. You know, it's not everything you do for yourself. Yeah. Mm. I'm a Nigerian, so let's not be joking here. I did something for family, so I did it. I, I don't I don't regret doing these steps. Mm-hmm. At least it was I was able to show that oh that thing you said I was going to come and do in the US, I did it. But guess you what? It, yeah. I'm not continuing. Now can I rest? This is where the road stops. Yeah. Can I rest now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. So I mean, looking, let's look at your career that I mean you didn't just get to the principal strategy lead, you know, at Abbott. So how was that journey? You know, you did clinical research, clinical trials, and how did you get? Yes. 
That's a very interesting question. So like I said, when I started, I did my master's of public health at Boston University. That's a top ranking public health in, um, um, school of public health in the US. In fact, okay. at some point it was ranking number six. It's always ranked between one to 10. So it's always like, wow. so it's, okay. it's a top school. First and foremost, it's a very top school. That in that in my um, university, right? Most of the public health professionals there are professors. We are active researchers in the Framingham Heart Study. I know every clinician knows this. Mm. So, first and foremost, I did some research projects in the Framingham Heart Study, where I initially started as a research assistant, as expected, mm-hmm. and then. Defining it, I became like a research assistant too. And then I delved into other interesting research projects with other um, professors. I was very interested in public health. So I found myself trying to make sure I, you know, covered the gaps in the knowledge I had. Because to be honest, in school, when I was in medical school, I don't know, community health was so boring to me. So <laughs> I didn't really pay enough attention. Yeah, yeah. I didn't pay enough attention. And then I was ashamed that, oh my God, like, how could you have done postings in this? And in the MPH, you don't even know how to differentiate between epidemic, pandemic. It, it, it was embarrassing. The joking there. Yeah. So I really, it was clear to me, I loved this and I couldn't believe how much I loved it. So I found myself, you know, requesting to be put on projects, research projects, whether I was going to be paid or not, that was not my aim. My aim was to learn as much and translate what I was learning in class because in the US, the public health program is two years. That's good for the UK. I think it would be good like one year. Yeah, but then it gives you the opportunity to really learn more, practice, you know, your internship is actually longer. You actually do a master's thesis that is really, really well packed that you can actually publish very good so with the kind of research i was really into i had a lot of referrals before i was even graduating to work at the national institute of health now for those people that don't understand as a as an immigrant that doesn't that's still on an f1 visa which is the student visa right yeah you actually naturally will not be taken in to work in any government the nih is government yeah. So usually what will happen is that if you're that good through a contracting agency, you get to work for the government, actually. So yeah. you can imagine straight out of school working for the NIH. I graduated in the pandemic here. That's when COVID was happening. That's when things were happening. So in, I was involved in a lot of clinical research, which research that the names are not even clear. You'll be seeing NTC, like literally funny. Yes. So in, at the NIH, I was directly working at the NCI, that's the National Cancer Institute. I initially started as a clinical data manager, a senior clinical data manager. So I was just analyzing data and all that good stuff. And then I dealt laterally into becoming a senior clinical research associate. So at, with that position, I was now managing more clinical trials. I was um, just ensuring that these trials are carried out in such a way that they were safe for patients and all that. I was yeah. uh, also facing with, you know, with the FDA, which is like the regulatory body, IRB yeah. on one side and all that. Also interacting with you know, different clients with respect to clinical research. And so that gave me an opportunity to, to also on the side have a lot of published works, to be honest. And mm. That is now putting footprint in America. That's now yeah. not just beyond your resume. You're now publishing. You're now going for conferences. You're now meeting people. Mm-hmm. You're now interacting. You're now socializing. So I told myself, I've I've had the academic experience. I've had government experience. I think biopharma or medical device company would be the way to go because at the end of the day, my career goal, to be honest, is to, you know, be able to be among those that should be able to be instrumental in, you know, developing interventions that would improve health outcomes, either through medical devices or through drug um, um, drug development and all that yeah. good stuff. My background as a clinician lends itself to such a dream. My well-rounded clinical research experience in the NIH 
is actually the highest possible place you can yeah. do clinical yeah. research in the world, not just in the US. So it just made sense that when I'm pigging now to industry, I would look like that ideal candidate that has actually yeah. earned her place on the table. Mm -hmm. Definitely, all my experience, I was not going to start at entry level. I was not also going to start at middle level. It was going to be maybe lower senior management mm -hmm. level. That's what I was actually going for. And so I was that person that applied to 100 jobs per week. I'm not even joking. So people should not just think it's so easy. So yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And you give me one rejection, I give you five more applications. Applications. And all I had to do was I wrote down Fortune 500 companies that I wanted to work in. That's because I did not come to America to count bridge. So I was done with regular. I was not just, because I, 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 in my head, I was like, I have built my profile enough to be able to work in one of these big companies, make that statement because I know where I'm going to. So mm -hmm. of course I was applying to 100 jobs per week. And wow. within four months, I had been shortlisted by different top ranking from assistant companies. I won't bug anyone with the rest of them, but yeah. Abbott was one of those companies that I've always, even as a medical student, I've seen what they've done. I've admired mm. them from afar. I couldn't believe that it's possible to actually work at the headquarters and in such an important position as a principal clinical strategy manager. Now, yeah. hearing that role, you might wonder, <laughs> What does what does it mean that this person is going to be doing? So typically, exactly. what that what I do is I'm in charge of emerging markets, so I can't talk so much about the exact product. But you get what when yeah. I say medical devices. Exactly. So since it's yeah. emerging emerging project um, um, the emerging market, I really can't talk about products. But either way, I I have to cross functional liaise with research and development, marketing intelligence clinical operations while we are developing new products that we are trying to, you know, push, um, to, the push to the market for to ways to improve, you know, health outcomes on a larger scale. So in essence, that will involve me writing clinical protocols, um, doing engagement with key opinion leaders, attending conferences, um, cross-functionally relating with research and development because they're the ones actually making these devices. They'll conduct their own in-house study, right? But then I'll have to write, pro I write protocols for the clinical utility studies because okay, you, de you developed the product, but then we now have to do like a clinical utility study, real life on patients, like in hospitals to see how that thing you guys are saying, you got the sensitivity, specificity, whatever it is you got that was high. Is that really the case here when you compare that particular device with the standard of care, no matter what the standard of care is? And then once that study is done, I now have to also ensure that these products are, re are um, registered with the FDA. So this is where marketing, mm -hmm. marketing intelligence comes. Marketing intelligence also comes with respects to post, um, marketing launch and all that. So it's a whole lot of moving parts. But at the end of the day, I'm very central to ensuring that new products are pushed into the market. And then these people that are pushed into the market are actually safe and very high quality so that health outcomes are actually reduced. Yeah. Okay. Sounds sounds great. And I mean, so all this while you've mentioned a lot of you know soft skills, you talked about adaptability, you talked about communication. Are there any technical skills? I mean earlier you mentioned you know when you were doing the role of the, I think the clinical data manager or something, doing analysis. So are there technical skills that people might want to focus on if they're looking to get into this role? Yes, of course. If you're looking to get into this role, you, your bio stat has to be on point because um, when they run the analysis and they present results to you, if you don't even have an idea of why was this particular analytical method used? <laughs> then you definitely will not be able to understand why the hell is this. If you don't understand why, why was it the sample size? Why was this the criteria? These are the things you have at the back of your mind because you have those skills. Mm -hmm. 
So because I did epidemiology and biostatistics as my specialty in public oh. health, I'm able to use SARS, I'm able to use R very well. <laughs> yes. And I also code with Python, but that was me just being too extra. So when it comes, when it, when it, when it comes to the particular statistical method to use for a particular analysis, I'm very well grounded in that. First and foremost, yeah. when it comes to calculation of sample size, all that good stuff with BioStat, I'm very well grounded. Yeah. So when I'm, uh, you know, cross-functionally relating with the BioStat team, because of course we have our BioStat team, I shouldn't be the one running the analysis. But then, yeah. I'm usually, I, I definitely understand exactly what they're doing. And when I'm, when I'm seeing something that doesn't, I know the right questions to ask. That's because I actually have these skills. So to be honest, even when I resumed the role. It took me a while, not, not really because I didn't understand what the rule was about, but it okay. finally made sense why I now see why I have all this education. Everything that is making me succeed in this role dates back to as far back as when I was 17, when I started the medical school in Nigeria. Yeah. It starts from having that clinical knowledge translating into even having some form of clinical practice. So you actually touch patients, you've seen patients, you know how the clinical work, the host, workflow can be in the hospital, no matter where it is you've practiced, it's immaterial. You know how these things work. And then getting that extra knowledge by doing the master of public health, delving yourself into research, it comes full circle. All those skills, you just see them start like <laughs> coming into play in different ways. So yeah, you need technical skills but not because you are actually the one now running the analysis, mostly because of the fact that you're actually, you're actually well grounded. But of course, how will you be grounded if you've never run an analysis before, if you've never done any project yeah. before? Most of the clinical yeah. research I was, I was involved in, most of the papers, my publications that I've act, that has my name has been behind, I've actually intentionally been the data person. So when it comes uh -huh. to the method section, Results section, leave it for me because I run the analysis. Just leave it for me. Yeah. I'm usually, I was usually that person. That's one thing that also made me stand out when I was interviewing for this position because there are a whole lot of doctors that also had one or two skills here and there. Some of them had like an MBA and all that, other extra degrees aside the MD. But even my, I remember my senior director telling me the other day that she remembers that what made me stand out was the fact that they were blown away with, with the level of technical skills I had aside having other skills, you know, that were required for the role. And I want us to also remember one thing for those that are looking to grow. When you are growing, if there's anything you are good at doing, do it well. Because at some point, you'll be a director, you'll be a senior manager, no director, no manager is exactly running analysis anymore. But yeah. is that knowledge you have that you can say, do this, do that. When something does not look right, you know who to call, you know why it is no. not right. Yeah. So even if we're all running around saying we're getting this, we're getting this, you will not do these things forever. At some point, you'll be the one directing, bringing people together, cross-functionally relating with different kinds of teams. So you will not run analysis forever. You will not write, you will not literally write a manuscript forever <laughs> definitely mm -hmm. delegate at some point so yeah. as you do the ranks it becomes less about technical skills it becomes less about um, other forms of theoretical um, knowledge you have it now becomes more about people management actually yeah that's yeah. it yeah absolutely uh, spot on there because i mean Everybody likes looking to grass. You grow higher, it's more of management than actually doing the groundwork itself. Mm -hmm. But again, you can only manage effectively when you actually know what you should be looking out for. Exactly. You know, do this, like you said, oh, this is not right. Can we do it this way? This is what the results look like and all of that. <coughs> That's interesting. So, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. I don't know why I'm tripping. Let's take some water. <laughs> it's, it's pretty early for you. So looking at the area of work-life balance now, because this is another question I, yeah. I get all the time. People who are looking for alternative careers, like can I do hybrid, is it fully remote, must I be on site all the time? 
So, I mean, from your own perspective, what's your work-life balance like? Before I assume this role, for the last three years, I work remotely. <laughs> I'm not even joking. In all my wow. roles in the NIH, I worked remotely. That's because the world was becoming something else Obviously. and places had to adapt. And so there are many people that still have that kind of schedule. So in essence, not being a clinician lends itself to that such possibility. You, yes, you can see patients through telemedicine, but guess what? You must show up at the hospital. You must show up, right? Yeah. But for the rest of us, we literally can work from anywhere. So yeah, uh, my in my current role, the mm-hmm. company is trying to encourage people to just be at the office because I think they just miss seeing people. So they're like, oh, okay, you can be remote, but sometimes come hybrid. So we have like an hybrid arrangement, whatever. And because I'm senior management, to be honest, they tell me, oh, when you come, you come. So it's fine. It's not, I'm, to be honest, I'm oh. You paid your views, have you? <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'm afraid it's okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm actually it juice. So now, nah, when you come, you come. I'm very. It's work like It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's good to know. I mean, as you climb higher, you have more sort of flexibility in your mm-hmm. schedule, really. So that's really good to know. Then looking at you did MPH, right? Looking back now. Would you say it's a must that somebody must do MPH if I was looking to get into this space? Oh, you can do an MBA. Okay. It doesn't have to be an MPH. However, you might not get your footing into pharma or medical devices, maybe through the clinical research pathway. It might not be the typical way. He could be maybe yeah. through, through, through consulting, for instance, to lend okay. yourself. And then at some point, because you have a medical degree, the company will look for a way to see, ah, how can you still be at the medical affairs? They like us being there. Let's not be, do you understand? In medical so, affairs. Yeah, yeah, medical or clinical affairs. Like, they like us. It looks good, to be honest, when you're looking at the organogram. So, yes, yeah. you can actually have an MBA. You don't have to do a, get an MPH to finally delve into and farmer, you can get all other kinds of graduate degrees. It's just that your starting point might not be true research focus. Do you understand? Okay. You okay. can even have done like, I know they have like data science, science programs that are now graduate level. So it doesn't have to be an MPH. If you really want to be on the data side of things, you can go through that rank. After all, people that are in the biostatistics team, right? The, 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 the biostatistics team, if you are growing to that rank, at some point you get to be a, like a director and all that. You start because you are data heavy. They also like doctors being there because, like I said, at the end of the day, when it comes to biopharma, when it comes to medical devices or all that, um, such similar, um, you know, companies, it's all about solving a health problem. Is it heart disease? Is it cancer? Whatever. So anybody that has that medical background, you are always going to shine. You just need to understand. Through what channel am I trying to now pivot into the space? Right? Okay. That's it. Your medical degree is not enough to really put in biopharma, especially if you're an international medical graduate. Mm. That's because I'll talk from the US perspective. So let me talk from the US perspective. <laughs> yes, the US they like to see, even when they see foreign degrees. Hopefully, it's not Nigeria, a Nigerian degree. I don't know. They're a bit more... Do you get it? Yeah. So, yeah. They're... So, but, you know, whenever I just say, oh, went to Harvard, went to Boston, they're like, hmm. They they're like, yeah. well, equals, you know, that kind of thing. So, because the reason why I said this is because I actually um, have colleagues that went to medical schools in America here. I have some colleagues that work with me now. And they, all they had to do was just go to medical school. And they're like, I'm not taking these steps, but I want to be in pharma. So they work in clinical affairs or they, or yeah. they become like writers or they grow the rank. But if you have a foreign degree and it's not still UK, it's not like Australia, <laughs> if you call Nigeria, they're a bit snobbish. Oh, Let's not be lying. Mm, Let's not be joking here. 
So yeah, you need some kind of um, entrance. It doesn't have to be the MPH. You have to search within yourself. What's, what's that thing you really want? The reason why I like the MPH program is that it gives you a best of both worlds. It gives you an opportunity to visit the data side. Because even like in my school, where I did, you know, at Boston University, if you wanted to be more biostatistics, you literally could have been only biostat, no epi. All true. All true. So you can, so, so your degree will actually come as, as a master's of public health with a specialty in biostat. That's because everything you did was in biostat. Bio I want to have yeah. balance. Yeah, yeah. So I have colleagues too that are working as data scientists, to be honest. Amazon, Google, and all that been doing data science. That's because they just did biostat courses. They're also medical doctors, by the mm -hmm. way, in case you're wondering. Do you understand? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, interesting, interesting, interesting. So, you can also sort of focus on epidemiology all through. So, you exactly. master's with specialization in epidemiology or something. And some, and some schools, like in, in the US, some schools do, do what is called a dual degree. Like okay. Johns Hopkins, they do MPH slash MBA. Mm. It's a good one. It's How a good Same. That's because they now look for a way to ensure that, because all, it's all about how many credits you need to qualify to be able to say, okay, it's time to graduate, right? So, of course, it's a little bit more rigorous, but your courses are chosen in such a way that they can marry each other and you can cope. So yeah, there are many people mm -hmm. I know too that also did like dual degrees. And it's understandable. To be honest, it's it's okay. So for those that are listening, uh, I will say this a lot. It's okay to even start and not know what you're doing. What am I even doing? Right. Well, give yourself that chance to settle down, understand why am I here? And if you need to switch, it's okay. Nobody's going to kill you. Switch on time. At every point, you need to keep reevaluating yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you don't keep doing that, you don't know whether you're in the right place. So it's okay not to understand where what what you're doing. Well, you're doing doing. It's not because everybody's doing an MPH. No, 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 no. That's not how you do it. Ask yourself, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are those things I really enjoy? In my own case, I. I was waiting for primaries, this would to pick me, and it was not coming soon. I was like, I don't want it to be that. I don't have an extra, I'll be waiting, I don't have an extra degree. It does not make sense. Like, we like book too much in my house. Let me, let me, let me not be joking here. So I was like, let me just really get an extra degree. But in, in doing that, I was able to settle into it, and I liked it. I understood where I found myself reevaluating, and I told myself, oh my God, I think I made the right decision. And even if mm -hmm. I didn't do I was in a very, Boston University is very good. Go to good schools, please, everybody. That reminds me. Choose good schools. <laughs> well, so, well, well, good schools are very expensive now. I didn't pay a dime. <laughs> you see, right? see I, know, I know how to. If it's how to get out to guess what? My, oh, no, no, no. Did this one my colleagues know? They were like, how? I said, you don't understand. How, how was your SOP? Kill it. <laughs> Leave yeah. no stuff want. Um, See, they're not ready. Yeah, unless they're not hungry enough. I didn't pay a dime. It's an expensive school. That's true. But go to good schools. There's a reason why I say this. So because they make us, they always reevaluate. We have like very good career services in my school, right? They okay. always reevaluate. The office hours are open. Why are you here? They reevaluate you. They see how you're doing. It's okay. We think we think you're doing well here. We, they guide you. They push you. Kind of. I'm finding you now understand the reasons why these things are being done, like you know, more often than not. We have lots of um, companies then that come to our schools twice uh, on, on bi monthly basis, talking about what they do and all that. There are so much, too many opportunities for internship. The reason why I say is that I've also interacted, you know, in the course of working, I've interacted with people that went to other okay schools. Yes. I'm not trying to put any yeah. school down. And I found that I was really spoiled in my school. That's because I went to very good schools, a very good school. Also, like all the access I had as a student from Boston University, we have it for life. All the resources. Wow. That means, yes, good school pays. <laughs> if I wow. go to my school now, my ID card will get me access everywhere. There is no 
everywhere. I go back, I log into my like profile back in school. Yeah. Any resource I want, I get it on you the code. My email was not closed, was not locked. I had a, my younger sister that I went to one school like that. And then she was like, I was like, please, what's that? Please, did you go to school? <laughs> did you get so, Yeah, so these things help. It's okay not to understand where you're going to. But then that's the reason why we're having these kind of sessions. And that thing that helped me was, even as, as at when I was in medical school, I, that was something I learned. I've never really followed my classmates. I've always been that person that when I come, if I'm in 100 level, I'll make friends in 300 level, I'll make friends in 400 level. I was that person that was helping people that were preparing for second MBBS exam while in 200 level. Before I even was second MBBS, I was good. The reason I was doing that was because every time I prepare for the future, right in the present, I get a better understanding of, okay, this is how it's going to be. Okay, this is how we talk. I never follow the crowd, not because I'm the best or anything, but it's just my nature. And I think I listened to my parents a lot when it came to those kind of things. They kept on putting it in me. I said, no, this is how you do it. This is how you get better. I don't have any medical doctor in my family. I'm the first medical doctor in my family. My family is filled with all kinds of engineers and all that. They are just into the whole engineering world. So men, when it came to mentorship, I didn't have that on the home front. So I had to work hard for it. And then when it comes to LinkedIn, I keep, so in my mind, I'll, I'll be like, okay, I think I want to go here. I literally will go to the search bar on LinkedIn. And for instance, just when I was going to maybe pharma, I'll say, for instance, okay, I'll just type up one position. And then I look at the profiles. Uh, yeah. And then I see, I'll see, I'll see where people, I'll say, okay, this person is now a director. But how did this person start doing? I was okay, she was once a medical doctor. Oh, she now did this, she now did that. And I say, ah, this is the pathway. Like, I have looked at, I keep looking at profiles still now because I'm still growing. Forget I'm in senior management, I right? I do that, I do that. So, yeah. yeah, that's how to grow. You will not get all the answers from GIST. You will not get all the answers from even this kind of interaction. You will also need to do the extra work. You might not have opportunities to attend conferences and all that. You might not even have like doctors in your family and people that have done things outside the box. But you see that LinkedIn, I pay for premium. There's a reason for that. And I literally yeah. look at this profile. I'll be like, oh, this is the, oh, I think, oh, this is how I want to go. Okay, this makes sense. Okay, I'm now here. Oh, this is what this person had to do. I even give them, send them messages on LinkedIn. And be like, please, you have like 30 minutes. I want to talk about this, 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 where I am in my journey, if you have time. Of course, a lot of people might turn you down, but the three, four people that will, you know, that will accept those uh, opportunities have also yeah. been instrumental. I also got my resume reviewed by strangers on LinkedIn. So you have to spread yourself all out. Learning is a continuous process, especially when you're going to do something outside the box. You need a lot of support. Mm -hmm. I need to be out there. That's the only way to do it. I mean, you're correct because I, I tell people that, in, I mean, LinkedIn is actually a very good resource, you know. Best social media network ever. More than half of what I've done now, I mean, it's mm -hmm. through people I don't even know, but I just met them on LinkedIn and yeah. they're happy to collaborate on one project or the other to just get things moving. So I just feel, most times it's really underutilized, especially for people who are looking to sort of grow in their careers or figure out next True. steps, really. True. Because another thing I noticed is that a lot of people are actually willing to you know, share knowledge or mentor people, okay, this is how I did it, this is what I didn't do, these were the mistakes I made so that you don't make it. But when you don't ask the questions, nobody's gonna come knocking at your door to say, hey, come, let me show you the way. Let me show you the way. <laughs> yeah. That's not doesn't work that way. So I think that that's a good point. I mean, people should <clears throat> try to use LinkedIn more frequently. Then the I mean, as we were speaking, I also remembered something. You know, some people ask me, is it better to finish med school and just jump into an MSc or MPH program. And most times I say no. That's I'm not saying it's bad, but like you said, it's really good to understand how the system works. Even if it's for one year or two years, be in the hospital, practice as a clinician, treat patients, see how the whole thing 
works out because down the line we'll find that knowledge very very invaluable i mean looking at what i do now on you know epr projects and all of that there are times when i have to switch on my doctor cap okay let me look at this from a doctor perspective would this be the case no it can't work mm-hmm. then i start arguing that we can't do this this way because this is not how doctors work then it begins yeah. to make sense to the developers or whoever is building whatever software exactly. you know, so. yes i completely agree with you we forget that having that internship here having that nyse here is actually education yeah. it's not just practice you've yeah. done you've done clinicals you've done all that you've passed your mbbs best believe when you put your when you go to the hospital and actually touch patients I'll actually be the one to be to be saying taps this, <laughs> IV this, yeah. and all that. It hits differently. There's especially NYC. As in you, it's it's clear that yes. So it's important to do the whole 360 by solidifying your knowledge in every way. Nobody can bamboozle you, nobody can shake you in what you know. Yes, you're not specialized, but guess what? At least her general knowledge, right? You have yeah. transferred the system. You've not just gone to school. You've actually touched patients. You know what it feels like. Plus, there are invaluable skills you will learn by actually trying to complete the whole process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you will not know how those um, skills will come into full, even if you have to dive, you know, get out of clinical medicine. Everything will come 360. It might not hit you immediately. At some point, you'll be like, I can't even believe I'm using this knowledge I learned or this thing I just knew, like how many down the line. When I was interviewing for this position, (laughs) um, the joke is always on people when they say, oh, if your resume is more than two pages, nobody's going to read it. My resume, for God's sake, I'm well accomplished. Like I've done a lot, not because I'm whatever, but I've really done a lot. I've really applied myself. So my resume (laughs) was four and a half a page. Oh and the director that was interviewing me was interviewing me from the fourth page. So far back, because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually your most your most recent experiences are recent the ones. One on top. Yeah. Here we go. And what was that experience? The the my experience with Pepper Clinics back during internship. Pepper in Nigeria. <laughs> Nigeria. So you just can never tell. So yeah, mm. do do the whole good do the whole nine yards. Then decide you don't like it. Decide you want more. It's okay, but do it. Do your NYSC. Yeah. Do your internship. Get it over with. And then if, if you want something different, that's fine. Then you yeah. can move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm happy you're also re-echoing the same sentiment. Yeah. Because I just feel it's very important. Then I saw your LinkedIn profile that you also review journals for GMIR. So how how are you able to fit that into your schedule? <laughs> it's, it's easy. I mostly do that during the weekends. Okay. That's because I feel if you are if you are growing, especially when you are growing in an alternative pathway, you always have to. I'm trying to build a portfolio career, right? So you always have to have that something that is that still makes you like different, unique, look like, oh, this person is actually trying to make sure that she's covering all her bases and all that. Yeah. So yes, I have time. I actually review papers for that um, journal. But of course, when I was applying to be a reviewer, I just pick certain like specialties that I knew that will marry well with wherever it is I'm oh, going yeah. to. So I don't have a lot of papers most times to review. But like this year alone, I think I've reviewed like 12 papers or so. Yeah. But I just mostly do it during the weekend. Beginning of the year, you've done 12. Uh, uh, that's a lot now. <laughs> I'm too extra sometimes, but then that is. And then you can decline if you don't feel like it, if you don't have time. So because mm-hmm. most of these journals sometimes always have like four or five people. Ten self in a particular field. So even if this person declines, some other person can actually. Some other person can pick up. Yeah. And then even when they give you a deadline, you can extend the deadline. So kind of, if you are responsible enough with time, you can find time for that. Yeah. 
management. Uh, when it comes to, and that helped because even when I was applying for my immigration stuff, being a reviewer, very important. Mm, helped. Mm. Yeah, it did. I think I should take my reviewing seriously. <laughs> I reviewed only one paper last year. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you are all righteousness. <laughs> and I haven't done any this year. It's an job, by the way, for people that are wondering. It's unpaid, but it looks good on your Yeah, profile. it's okay. But it, yeah. It's good, really. Yeah. yeah, it's good. I mean, I, I enjoy reading other people's work. I mean, you know, seeing it from a different perspective. Yeah. You know, trying to figure out what's the thought process behind what this person is doing. Exactly. All of that. So I think I should take it more serious this year. Not to myself. Could be so tasking, really. So ah, it's almost one hour. Interesting conversation. So for anybody who is looking to you know, get into this space, what would you tell the person? Looking back at all you've done, your mistakes and everything. Well, the first thing I'll say is whatever it is you are doing, do it well. Don't cut corners because at some point you see why it's important to really do things well. Yeah. Secondly, please go out of your way, network with people. You don't have to know them. Let's remove all this our shy attitude. We didn't go to the same school. No, 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 that's not how to do that's not how to grow in life. You don't have to go to the same schools. You don't have mm -hmm. to know the person. You see something you like. You see, people are like he, like Dr. Ron said, people are actually willing to share um, ideas, but if you don't ask, it's not gonna be there. For my journey, most of the help I've gotten, like most of the resources that have helped in shaping where I am now. Came from people yeah. I came. I came to the US without a relative for people that are wondering. I was that person that landed at the airport and literally told the, the taxi person to just um, drive me to the nearest hotel, let me just rest for the day, then out the next day I'll figure myself out. But then here I am. So don't be shy, network a lot, ask questions, and Nigerians are very I mean, Nigerian doctors, I definitely know, at least I see their attitude on Twitter, I see their attitude on, on LinkedIn. They are very willing to, you know, give so much guidance. It's not, it's not any disturbance. If it is, if you're at the stage of applying for an MPH and it's your SOP, you need to review, reach out to someone. I literally have three people I'm reviewing their SOPs. I don't know them from anywhere. Some of them are even Ghanaians. So let's not be sleeping on these things. Then when you're getting that knowledge, apply yourself. And it's okay to keep reevaluating. What do I really want to do? Why am I here? Where is it leading me to? If you can continue, if you if you ask yourself that question, you continuously look for ways to ensure that you can find answers to that question so it can lead you somewhere. Leave no stone on stone unturned. When you are building, to be honest, it's a lot of sleepless nights. Ride with that wave. It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot out of you. We are going to get a, make a headway that you'll be satisfied with if you put in the work. Those are the things I'll, I'll and then, then be true to yourself, right? Don't don't do head mentality. What you cannot do, you cannot do. But don't be too quick to dismiss yourself. You may not you may never be too sure of about what you actually enjoy doing if you don't give yourself the opportunity. So give yourself the opportunity to try, reevaluate. If you don't like something, move immediately and keep talking to people. Trust me, whatever it is you anybody wants to do, it's not too new. It might be a little bit different. But is it mm -hmm. totally there is nothing new under this sun? Let's not be joking here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So when you understand that there's nothing new under the sun, there's always someone that can give you good guidance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, thanks, thanks for that. I mean, point taken again. I mean, a lot of self-reflection is very key. You know, if it, Sorry, one more thing. Data skills. I won't lie. It is to help. <laughs> try. <laughs> try. 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 I don't like it. I don't like it. 
Try for my experience. Try data. Try, try it. Try it. Small shot. Yeah, it's it's good. I agree with you because I took this initially. I mean, I had interest in you know data analysis and all of that. So I signed up for this Google data analytics course and all of that. You yeah. sort of gave me you know, the basics and everything. Then I got into R, I got into Python. Correct. But when you have to spend some time writing those codes, and I'm not that patient to sit for that long hours to write those codes, you know. There was a particular day uh, I wrote the code, you know, and, and I hit the wrong button, the code didn't run. I couldn't figure out why it wasn't running. I just yeah. I, I couldn't just figure out. After like four hours, I now called a friend, guy, please come and help me look at this code. What's the problem? The guy just glanced at the code. He was like, Casey, just remove that dot from there. I removed the dot and clicked the wrong button and it around. I was like four hours. I said, no, this is bye bye to data. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I get the frustration. Yeah, so that's how I ran away. But I mean, the basics, it comes in quite handy, really, on some of the things I do, because I work with data guys, data man uh, database manager. So I understand what it is I should be looking for, what the schema should look like. So I know all of those things, really, but I shouldn't be the one running the analysis all the time. So yeah, good point. Data skills very important. I mean, and it's a big thing now. Everybody is going data, 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 big data, exactly. cloud, and everything. So you can't go wrong with picking up data skills, really. So I, I totally agree with you. Ah, it's almost the one hour mark. And I mean, I wish we could still keep talking, but then I shall have to give you a time back. <laughs> and thank you for giving us your. It's interesting thing. So for people who are they happy, are you happy for people to reach on LinkedIn or Twitter mentorship? Yes, I'm open to that. I didn't get here by myself. I got here because people that um, I might be. So last minutes of the today's episode can you hear me i can hear you now it, it froze oh, oh okay <laughs> that's fine i was just saying that let's wait for you to come back then we can just wind down properly you know i mean we'll okay yeah, so, so i was saying that people can reach out to me linkedin twitter yep feel free okay mm -hmm. all right so guys you've heard it you can reach it reach out to her on LinkedIn, on Twitter, but uh, please don't bombard her too much. She still has a nine to five job and she'll reply when she can. Because that's another thing I battle with, you know, my DMs are flooded and people are like, ah, it's not answer, and, then, not and then different time zones. So some people and feel like, time oh, zones. no, 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 Exactly. exactly. So that's huge difference. So thanks Ella for you know, coming on air to share your experience. And I believe a lot of persons who are watching would have picked one or two things. And uh, those who are looking to follow you in this road, reach out to you in your DM and uh, hopefully get all the mentorship and guidance they need to progress. And with that, I'll be signing out. Thank you once again for coming on air and I'll see you guys in the next episode. We have come to the end of another captivating episode of Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron and I hope he has left you inspired and enlightened. 
the dedication, compassion, and expertise showcased by these unsung heroes of healthcare deserve our utmost admiration and gratitude. We want to extend our heartfelt appreciation to all healthcare professionals who work tirelessly day and night to provide exceptional care to patients. Your selflessness and unwavering commitment to improving lives are what makes the healthcare system truly remarkable. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review. Your feedback is invaluable and helps us continue bringing you engaging stories from the heart of healthcare. In the coming episodes, we'll continue to explore diverse roles and contributions of healthcare workers, share more inspiring stories of resilience and innovation. We'll also delve into critical topics such as healthcare disparities, mental health in the medical profession, and the future of healthcare technologies. We will also tell patient stories as we have realized they are the reasons why we do the work that we do. If you have a story you'd like us to feature, a healthcare professional you'd like us to highlight, or a patient stories that you would like us to tell, we'd love to hear from you. Please connect with us on social media or through our website, or better still, drop us an email and let's continue the conversation. Remember, Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron is not just a podcast. It is a celebration of the remarkable individuals who form the backbone of our healthcare system. Join us on this journey as we shine a light on the invaluable work they do, often with little recognition, but with boundless impact on patient lives. Thank you for being part of the community and for supporting Behind the Scenes in Hell with Dr. Ron. Together, let's amplify the voices of healthcare workers and patients and ultimately celebrate the unseen efforts that drive the heart of healthcare. Until next time, stay curious, stay inspired, and stay connected. Take care, and I'll see you soon in another episode of Behind the Scenes in Health with Dr. Ron. Bye for now.